0: Get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at seaboc.com. That's S-E-B-O-C dot to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts at seaboc.com.
1: Welcome, I'm Dr. Jeremy Lukabal, Industrial Organizational Psychology Consultant and Workplace Communication and Negotiation Coach. If you are in or getting into the Industrial Organizational Psychology field and you feel a little lost in the crowd, you're looking for support to jumpstart your career, blaze your IO path, and maybe get the answers that your degree program never gave you about what it's actually like to work as an IO psych practitioner, check out CBoc's IO Career Pathfinder membership at CBoc.com. If you're a more established IO practitioner, check out our expert membership to showcase your expertise, build your brand, and be part of our initiatives. Do you lead a university's IO or applied IO psychology program? Go to cblock.com, get in touch to partner with us to build your program's brand and get solid, real-world support for your students. Let us do the heavy lifting for their engagement and experiences and businesses. Get in touch. We've got the bank of experts you need for coaching, consultation, and program development and execution. Please subscribe to the podcast because it helps us out and it helps the field of I.O. Also, today we have Tom Bradshaw with us, a voice and speech coach and a damn good actor too. He is the official voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community.
2: Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to our weekly gathering of IOs, HRs, recruiters, and one actor as we try to make the world of work just that little bit better. Uh, Jeremy, today we're going to continue to talk about (laughs) real versus unreal people, uh, augmented humans, uh, the integration of AI and human intelligence in the workplace. Uh, And, you know, I like sci-fi, so I'm already thinking of, you know, I'm not thinking about apps, I'm thinking about what electronic devices can I have stuck in my head so that I have access to the internet?
1: We're going, there are I feel like each time we do these, we could do a series of events on any of these particular topics. I'm going to be, I'm going to feel a little wacky because I'm going to have so many different, um, there's so many great resources for this. And then um, might go off script into talking about some actual personality assessments. And then also I was working with AI and trying to see how it could mimic um, something from a, uh, the the Hogan judgment report. So, and I'll share some of those answers that I got from AI in terms of, hey, can you, can you verify how you came to this conclusion and whether or not it will actually make a decision or not based on some parameters. Um, to start off, and this is, uh, if you're listening to the podcast and the show notes, as always, you'll see the references. I'm going to dive in real quick here to this article called "Artificial Intelligence Versus Human Intelligence: A New Technological Race." This article was published in April of 2020, and just to give a background, and I'm reading some from the article here, just in terms of human and human IQ. So, at first, it was IQ is measured by a person's mental age divided by their chronological age, and then multiplied by 100. And then they, you also have kind of this norming population ability to measure IQ, which is comparing scores against others in the uh, the individual same group. And when we look at AI, AI is really we're looking at what are the mental activities that go on in the brain? What are the specific what are the specific processes that we use to store data um, and, and sort information? And what they do is they mo- is artificial intelligence is simply modeled after the way our brain works, uh, using algori- algorithms to present that AI as a particular intelligence. So that's where the in- inspiration was drawn, was basically our nervous system and what's called the animal psyche, which is our psyche. And we'll start off just by starting to define what the main two types of intelligence are. So, we have crystallized intelligence, which is your knowledge, your skills, things that you've acquired throughout your life, and fluid intelligence, which is your ability to reason, problem solve, and make sense of abstract information. Uh, When you look at the like learning independence, fluid intelligence is more independent of learning and declines later in adulthood. (laughs) Excuse me, adulthood. Crystallized intelligence is directly related to learning and experience and tends to actually increase as people grow. Tom, before I get too far, I'm going to turn it over to you.
2: Well, it's, it's just interesting, Jeremy, because we've been having these conversations. And a couple of days ago, I talked to someone in IT who basically went, yeah, we're, we're not even going down the path of, of AI. Like we're we know it's coming and, you know, but we're looking at all the problems and, you know, especially the ethical issues. And so is there a lot of fear out there as we move forward that is going to keep organizations from not looking at these tools because, you know, it's just been too risky or
1: are they going to have to because if they don't, they're going to fall behind? Uh I'm going to read a quote by Stephen Hawking that was actually in this article that we were just looking at, which I think think just wholly answers the question, which is kind of the answer that we're generally looking at. The quote is, the rise of powerful AI will either be the best or the worst thing that ever happened to humanity. We don't know. We don't yet know which Stephen Hawking. So in terms of we, we've we seen it, I mean, we see it in the news where some companies are just getting sandblasted because they made wrong decisions based on AI. You have major news publications that have had to retract articles that were written based of AI and they didn't look at them good enough. So they've had to retract entire articles. But at the same time, AI can do a lot of good, especially in terms of the creativity aspect, the jumpstart aspect, even in terms of, you know, there's companies that do uh, item writing for assessments and they might use AI where in the past, it took a lot uh, more, it, it took a longer time for these instructional designers and curriculum developers to write these items for questions that are questions for high stake situation assessments, where AI can give a jumpstart and actually provide thousands more alternatives in terms of particularly how to start a question, perhaps like based on Bloom's taxonomy, for example. So it adds more depth and more value to even something as simple as concentrating on you know, very like specific items. And of course, we all have our own experience with AI or some knowledge of AI and how it's affecting and believe, you know, AI is everywhere. If you use email, AI is already helping you start what what the particular, you know, the sentences, for example, there is, I want to give a call out. There's, there's a really interesting tool out there that has, it's for higher education that has application beyond uh, way beyond uh, your schools it's called magicschool.ai and I just want to call this out because it's it's front and center. I've I've played around with it a little a little bit but it has everything from an email responder uh, you can even upload a YouTube video and it will create a based off of the transcript it'll create takeaway points, high points uh, and there's I think I want to say probably 40 to 50 different functions that that particular tool has. It's called magicschool.ai. There's all kinds of different things to play around with. And back to your original question, companies are, I would imagine by now, companies are starting to carefully weigh the risks and benefits. Whether or not they're going with them, as I mentioned, the the news article that had to get retracted, I knew of at least one, uh, there is some disaster uh, that can happen, but there's also some good. So in terms of the adoption phase, I think companies are really going to look at it in terms of, do we want to be an early adopter, a late adopter? What are the pros and cons with that? And based on when we adopt it, what are we going to do with it? And then how do we manage a workforce based on how they might use it or be affected by it? So lots and lots of questions to ask. Well, and I think you hit on something
2: where, you know, when we start talking about AI, we we want to take the human right out of it. We want it to be totally, you know, computer intelligence but it seems that's where we start to run into issues is when we take the human out of the equation. So let me ask you, you know, with all this coming down the line, how are IO psychologists going to deal with it? And what special skills do you have that'll help us guide through the process?
1: I'm going to jump right into, uh, I want to look at this. So when you look at Hogan assessments, Hogan has a barrage of, of course, personality assessments, values assessments, Red flag derailer assessments, for example, they also have. Uh, there's two, one, two in terms of intelligence or overall judgment, and one in particular. And the reason I want to go down this path is because now we're looking at something that has been uh, has plenty of norming data, has been um, validated against probably every assessment that we can think of in terms of intelligence, the Watson against each other, because these are two types of different assessments. So there's a lot of data and there's a lot of science behind that. And of course, as I, a psychologist, we love data and we love our science. So I'm going to give a, I want to dive into your question a little bit by giving a brief overview of two different, um, of these two different types of reports and, and we can think of it, of course. Now, because of the subject matter at hand, we're thinking AI. But as the conversation gets going, we might find some interesting aha moments, insights. And when the time is right, I'm going to share how I took what's in these report in terms of judgment styles or decision making abilities, and the experience that I had actually with the with the AI. So, to start, the Hogan Judgment Report um, it measures numerical and verbal information processing, and three non-cognitive scales to assess decision approaches, and also three post-decision scales to describe non-cognitive responses to negative feedback. That is probably the most boring sentence I've ever heard in my entire life, but it's actually also pretty fun. Uh so this report, so there's a difference between the other one is called the HBRI, the Hogan Business Reasoning Inventory. The HBRI focuses on your ability to straw to solve, actually solve strategic and tactical problems. But the judgment assessment, the Hogan judgment assessment, focuses on decision making by measuring processing speed, by measuring your style, almost your innate approach. And also approaches in terms of pre-decision and post-decision. And the judgment is more for development purposes because we're looking at things that can change, right? We can our processing speed and style can change. Our our approach can change. And the HBRI is positioned more for selection because that's measuring, you know, like your almost like your natural or innate ability to actually solve strategic and tactical problems. Before I get further because Tom, you know, sometimes I get just going. I'm going to turn it back over to you before I keep going or somebody else raises their hand. By the way, uh, open mic event, totally open mic event. If you want to raise your hand, please do. Tom will call on you. We would love to hear your insights or questions. Tom. And until hands go up, I'll just pick on some people like Linda Ann. Uh, Linda
2: Ann, I'm, I'm wondering from an HR perspective, how is AI being introduced and is there a lot of apprehension in the industry right now on bringing AI in?
3: No, I don't feel like I have a really good handle on that yet. I think, though, that in my opinion, it's really important to see it as a tool at this point, right? And and to learn how to use the tool effectively so that... It, just like any of the other innovations that have come over, come into the, the workforce in the past 40, 50 years that we learn to <clears throat> just like, I don't have to use a typewriter anymore, you know, and um, I can use, talk to text. I use it all the time and those kinds of things. So I use them as tools. They're not replacements for what I do. When I use, you know, AI, like ChatGPT and things like that, and I get a result, I can't use that. That's raw data to me. And, Mm. you know, I have to have my expertise to interpret it, refine it. It's just used as something to jumpstart what what I do. And so there's not a replacement of my expertise. It's just a way to increase my productivity and my capabilities. So I, I look at it that way. To the question that that Jeremy posed about being whether or not we want to be an early adapter or a late adapter. My inclination and in what I've done and I've learned in, in the past is for me, it's better to be an early adapter. And the reason it, while you need to have some um cautious optimism about it, right? <laughs> uh when you're an early adapter and learn it as it progresses, your understanding of its capabilities and where you are in it is far more um, comprehensive. And so I think it's easier to be an early adapter, um, even if you don't choose to use it in its raw function or, or whatever, but to understand where it is and then watch it evolve, you have a better, more comprehensive perspective on, on where it comes from, what it can do and how it functions.
2: Thank you for that. Uh, Dr. Matthew, I'd love to go to you next and and just ask you, like, wh- where is this all going uh, 10 or 20 years from now? What is the office going to look like? I mean, we might not be in the office, but how is this technology, which is coming now, going to affect us down the path? You know, when, when I started a long time ago, uh, there was a thing called the phone and it sat on your desk. And now I've got a version that sits in my pocket. So that's a huge change. How is that going to reflect down the path? That's a great question,
4: Tom. And Linda brought up some good points as well about the integrating the technology is not about replacing humans or or any of the work that we do. It's about finding a way to bring them together to collaborate, one helping the other. I've had the privilege of witnessing firsthand working with organizations who are implementing that AI technology. Uh, there's a lot of opportunity for IO psychologists and OD practitioners to play a very pivotal role in that process. Again, it's a collaborative partnership between that AI and the human intelligence. It's about harnessing that technology to amplify and extend what our human capabilities are, not about replacing them. Benefits are are profound. There's uh, increased AI can enhance workplace productivity. It can automate routines. It can allow humans, it can allow us to concentrate on more strategic endeavors that are more hands-on or that are things that the computer doesn't necessarily understand. AI can offer data-informed insights for better decision-making and can significantly reduce, when done properly, can significantly reduce operating costs, making businesses more competitive. What business leader wouldn't want to talk about that type of benefit to their organization? Yes, there's challenges and concerns. Innovation always brings challenges. Concerns about job job replacement, very valid. Uh, but that's again where the IO psychologists and the OD practitioners can come into play. We can help assess that impact of that AI on those job roles, help employees transition and design programs, training programs to upskill that workforce. Um, Ethical considerations are very critical to, to the process as well. There needs to be transparency and fairness in that system. And again, IOs and ODs this is where we excel in fostering that responsible integration, understanding the ethical dilemmas of it and and finding opportunities for strategic growth and, and movement forward.
2: I'd like to wish you all well <laughs> and much luck as you go down that path. Uh, Nick, let's go to you.
5: Yeah, it's a it's a weird sort of tension because right now AI is miles ahead of my understanding as just kind of a, a layperson as it were. But it's not to the point where we see it in the the sci-fi that that impacts popular culture. So I think when you hear AI, you're thinking of it being fully formed, fully ready. But in reality, we're still at that phase where we're working the bugs out. And too many people are looking for kind of that quick fix that, oh, it's going to write a paper for me and things like that. So the general uses aren't, aren't taking that sort of iterative It's going to help me improve and improve and improve, Um, and as we learn how these programs are learning, we'll have to go into that sort of black box and think about if we're using it for assessment or employment selections, how do we track any sort of potential bias much the same way as human written assessments had to go through the process and are constantly being reviewed so you can't just set it and forget it at this point you really do have to work with it and wrestle with it and realize that it's in its infancy it's not where we've projected it um, through fiction and things like that it's it's very much at the start and we'll have to make deliberate choices as a society of where it will go, particularly in business, and using IO principles to kind of temper how that change looks and how people interact with it.
2: Thank you for that, Linda, and Back to you.
3: Um, I think that it's important. You had asked me; I had a minute to think um, uh, a question about how it's in, interplaying into to human resources, and I think one of the key pieces of human resources is I don't I don't yet know how when you're dealing with a human relations issue in other words you've got people in a manufacturing plant or a distribution plant or whatever and they're um standing next to each other on the in the facility and they're in conflict with each other so you need someone to help moderate diffuse whatever it is that kind of relationship and i think we're a little bit away from having two people resolve their Conflict over um, a conversation with AI um, or interfaced with AI. So I think that that aspect of human resources is going to still need the human interaction for for a while yet. So it's it's just about where we are now. Um, there's an interesting question in the chat about how do we deal with the situation where um, like the SAG strike um, and there was a part of the resolution of that was a limitation on the use of AI in um, developing scripts and things like that. Just from my quick perspective, um, that may solve the problem for now, but I don't think that's a long-term solution in any way. I think that's going to, um, we're going to have to have a different result for that.
2: Yeah. And, and you know, I'm, I'm sure even today someone could build me an HR robot but I'm not interested. I want a human <laughs> dealing with
1: humans. Uh, Dr. Jeremy, let's go back to you. So, like you mentioned, a human versus a robot, the question partially becomes, or not partially, in a lot of cases nowadays, how can we tell? I mean, how can we tell with art? How can we tell with music? How can we tell with anything? But when you look back and we're talking about human intelligence and even decision making versus AI intelligence and AI decision making, the I'm looking, so I'm pulling from a sample Hogan judgment report, and when we look at this, I'm, I've been trying to, tr- to to like, gotcha question to, to AI, and it gotches me back each, each and every time. It's very interesting. So when you look at decision-making style, we have th- basically three components, like how we process information, verbal or numerical, what approach do we take for making decisions? Is it more threat avoidant? Versus reward seeking, tactical versus strategic and data driven versus intuitive. I have been able to pull out from the AI a little bit, which, like at least for threat avoidance versus reward seeking, which it has. We talked about intuition. Somebody mentioned intuition. I asked about its intuition. Turns out AI has intuition, but always supports that intuition. And then so the third component is reactions to feedback. This is interesting. Because so, this is how people react to feedback about their de- decision. Do they get defensive or cool headed, denial versus acceptance, and superficial versus genuine? I'm going to guess because these are human emotions that AI might not be either, that it should be like right in the middle for each of these. So, I'm going to provide a little bit of an example. Um, when you look at different styles of individuals so just an example of two different styles some people might be very high in verbal intelligence um, but not necessarily or i should say verbal information processing they process highly verbal information they're really good at but they're not that good at numerical so for highly verbal uh processors they process more efficiently and they often prefer to use words because they're interpreting events. They can create emotional experiences with the that verbal processing because they can relate to it better, um code it differently in their brain. And they do well in areas like literature and journalism and advertising. When you look at excuse me, when you look at more quantitative, they're more uh, numerical in terms of their ability to process information. They like to identify, and you can see the clear differences here. They work more with like patterns and rules and sets of numbers because they want to be able to predict outcomes based on information. So you're looking at your finance, your accounting, your engineering, IT, and so forth. And as I look at this profile, at the sample uh, judgment profile, so we look at this. So some people make decisions to avoid, right? Threat avoidance. So they're avoiding, you know, threats, legal, financial, physical. So when you look at someone who is very high in threat avoidance, there's a consideration, right? There's always development. What what can they do better? What can they work on? So one sample suggestion for this hypothetical report is explain your rationale for important decisions that you make and see if others uh, share that particular perspective. And I want to point on to, uh, now I want to switch over. If I may, in terms of a, in terms of just an interaction with AI, so what I did is I I set the stage a little bit. I don't know why. I, st- I think a stage. I think a you Tom probably because <laughs> it's the acting. So that's really good. So I set the stage um, in terms of. Now I got to get back to it. There we go uh what is the best way this is what i asked what is the best way to go about organizing a project to build a bridge please take into consideration multiple safety aspects and also that there will be various architects and engineers working on the program who have different opinion styles and backgrounds so it goes through you know taking these things into consideration it's highly complex so here's a step-by-step guide planning compliance safety assessment on and on So then I say, because now we're looking at, I say, please provide a rationale for the response that you provided. So then, of course, it gives a list of rationale based on best practices, management principles. And of course, it's very thorough looking at documentation, risk management, approval. So then I said, what is your perspective on the following? What's more important? Quality assurance or public engagement. So it says, all right, both are important. Speaking of quality assurance, here are are some key points. Speaking of um, public engagement, here are some key points. And then it says, let's find a balance. So you can see how practical it is. Let's find a balance between the two. Is it high stakes project? Is it a a community driven? And here's how you can do a hybrid approach. So then uh, trying to, hone in a little bit, what's more important, quality assurance or public engagement? So you can see how it's wishy-washy. Well, it depends. You have to decide based on what your preferences are. So we're starting to see, all right, is AI indecisive? It's not, because when you keep going, then I say, look, is there an argument? I'm sorry. I say, there is an argument between project managers, which is more important, staying within a budget or spending extra money to make sure the bridge is safe? again not giving a complete answer it says well it depends this is a dilemma by the way here are some important parts of staying within a budget and ensuring safety and then it goes all about find, finding a balance so i'm not getting what i want yet i want it to make a decision and i want to make and i don't want to justify it and i want to know based on um uh intuition can it say i have intuition tom is this getting boring yet so, no going?
2: it's it's actually um leading me to a question I want to ask you.
1: Okay. Okay. Um, So then I say, all right, look, Mr. Mrs. AI, I'm planning on buying a brand new car. It is not safe, but it has features and would be fun to drive. The other is more safe, but has fewer features and doesn't look as good. Which should I buy? And then it says... It should be based on your own priority and needs. Both are important. Here's why safety is important. Here's why features are important. So now I say, just based on your intuition, which is the best decision? So AI shoots back verbatim. My intuition, based on the information you provided, suggests that prioritizing safety should be the best decision. Safety is fundamental when it comes to choosing the car, X, Y, Z. And it also, without me asking, here's why it's a crucial factor. Life and well-being, peace of mind, long-term savings, and of course, it goes into that. And then it, it tells me, it's basically saying, look, you idiot, it might be an interesting decision, but here, like it, it says, features are and, and fun driving are important, but they should not come at the expense of safety. You should be able to strike a good balance. But at the end, of course, it says... It depends on your individual priorities and circumstances. So it's interesting when we look back at the this Hogan Judgment Report in terms of decision making. And of, of course, we're looking at decision making in terms of fluid and crystallized intelligence. And backing up, it looks like when we look at how we define those two, that AI has both. Uh, well, it has both in the fact that it, has, it knows stuff. And that's not going to go away. It's not going to forget it. But it's also able to learn more things and adapt and come out, come up with different. Like the more it knows, the more it can adapt, right? So it has two kinds of intelligence. So when we look at this in terms of decision making, uh, the question then for the group is, and you know, it could be for the group or uh, you know, I think on your own as a group. I'm not saying anyone has to answer this, but did AI get defensive in what I shared? Was there denial versus acceptance? Was it superficial versus genuine? Was it like, again, like cool-headed? Is it hard to tell? Because this is one of the human factors, especially when we're looking at human factors in the workplace that sometimes trip us up. They might become red flags in the way we handle things or relate to um, specific situation. It's pretty interesting to see how there's a, a quite a, a nice balance between if it makes data-driven versus intuit- intuitive decisions because it wouldn't make a decision. But in the end, it probably goes with bait, with both, the data-driven, it, it, who knows, man, maybe it's pulling from you know accident data in the US, because if there was never a car accident in the world, it would probably maybe come up with, all right, hey, just get the one that's fun and looks good because car accidents aren't possible. So it does have some kind of a knowledge and is able to base that and then throw forward an intuitive decision. Very interesting, Tom. Well, your AI is
2: starting to sound like a parent Um, and nine people out of 10 are going to buy the fun car and ignore the advice. Uh, But that kind of leads into my question because, you know, we've had this discussion many times before about, you know, how to communicate with an audience or an individual. And, you know, I know if I'm talking to a group of people and I can reach them on that emotional level, I got them. I can get them to take action to pretty much anything I want. Now, if I'm having a chat with AI intelligence, can they respond or can I reach them emotionally? And what I'm thinking is, from my understanding of the way that it's working, a true emotional response they won't be able to give me, but they're going to analyze data in such a way that it will reflect an emotion. So can I, in some way, reach AI on an emotional
1: level? That's I love this. Love this. It makes uh, me little th-
2: Ann's shaking her head right
1: now, but go ahead. <laughs> so it, it makes me think, right. How much we're driven by emotion when we feel it. And even like, when you think about it, our, like when we're emotional about something, it tells other people what we want and how really bad we do want it. And how do we connect with people? It's through emotion, Kleenex, right? Emotional commercials, We've all seen the Sarah McLachlan uh, SPCA help out these puppies commercial that obviously pulls on heartstrings. So from the experience, yeah, it seems like there is a just complete lack of emotion when, when interacting with AI. However, if you're looking at it from, from all right, AI is going to help me generate ideas so that I can connect with people on an emotional level, it can do that maybe in a more dry sense, uh, or if you, unless you tell it to. It might tell you how to connect, what you can do, storytelling, for example, uh, find out what's important to them. So it can do that. And it can do it based on what you ask. I know someone who is creating email marketing campaigns and they said, um, connect with potential buyers on a like an emotional basis, something like draw them towards, um, I don't know what it was. But draw them into a, a, an emotional connection or something like that. And the words that AI had generated even included emojis and all these different things based on what they were asking. So it can, I mean, you could, uh, yeah, so it can, but you just have to ask it to. And you can even set um, rules in terms of, hey, how you respond to me. You can set rules. Hey, please respond to me as an authoritative parent. Please respond to me as someone who's super caring about my feelings and be very soft in your responses so that I'm not offended. You can, but you just have to tell it to, which quite frankly isn't a whole lot different than if we're speaking with someone. You may speak with someone and say, hey, uh, it seems like you're being a little overbearing right now. Could you please t- uh, speak a little more softly and uh, create a more uh, an easier environment for me to process this information? The only problem is they may try, but it might be hard for them to do it. AI is going to do it right away. Tom. Well, uh,
2: I want you to continue that research and uh, try to get your AI uh, angry at you. (laughs) and Let me know what they say. Uh, Linda Ann, let's go to you.
3: Well, one of the things that I like about AI is that I can, I can talk to it without having to worry about its feelings. So um, I, I'm not sure that, that, the concept of AI and intuition is actually compatible at this point Um, because intuition is a feeling. And a lot of times when you go, you follow your intuition, it's counter to your intellect, right? And so even though, oh, look at Jeremy. (laughs) He's got something to say on that. (laughs) So a lot of times if I'm talking to someone, and, and we're trying to work something out or problem solve. And you go, well, what, how are you feeling about that? And, and really work from that sense of things. You can have all the analytics you want and make a decision based on all that analytics. And it's still not feel right to you. And, you know, I've it's taken me a long time to get to the point where I need to listen for me to, to my intuition and what does that feel like? And what I'm, so I'm, I'm not really sure that, that AI and intuition are currently compatible.
1: So I'll play devil's advocate. I don't necessarily agree because again, this is new to all of us. It sounds like you're telling AI it's wrong because it clearly said my intuition is X. It clearly knows the definition of intuition. And the question then becomes what caused it to say safety first? Isn't that intuition?
3: No, that's intellect, right? I can say... And, and it has, it understands the definition of intuition. It doesn't mean it has intuition.
1: Then how did it come to my intuition? One of these is based on that. It will give you peace of mind. That's one reason you should consider safety. That's not, that's more intuition. Knowing that people like peace of mind over fun and nice looking car I'm not necessarily saying things I agree with. I'm just playing devil's advocate.
3: Oh, yeah. No, this is the whole point. I, this is my favorite thing about these conversations.
1: All right. <laughs> Bring it on, Linda Ann.
3: So, well, even even if it gives you, quote, peace of mind, whatever that is to AI versus an individual, that doesn't mean it's still compatible. It might give me peace of mind that I, that I uh, met everybody else's expectations, right? Still doesn't mean that I followed my intuition.
1: Okay. I got nothing. I got nothing (laughs) else. I'm going to turn my mic off right now. (laughs) The score now is
2: Linda and one and uh, (laughs) Nick, let's go to you.
5: It's interesting because in hearing you describe the interaction with your, you're trying to prod the AI and what was spitting back at you. I would agree with Linda and it's not intuition. It's mirroring back the language that you're using when you say intuition, intuition, now it's keyed in, the, that's a word that you want to hear and is responding to that threat of questioning. And also, it felt very much like the the legal copy at the end of any advertisement. You no, know, kind of this service is not is destined to be, you know, uh, financial advice or anything like that. But it felt almost like as you were trying to force it to, to make a decision for you, the AI kept pushing back on, it depends, it depends you know, and trying not to put the decision-making in its own hands. That might be a reflection of capability or programming, or that's also just us interpreting or putting our own emotional and personal spin on what the AI is doing. It's operating with, you know, ones and zeros, and we're putting emotions, intuitions, and some of these higher-level words onto it. And it could just be reflecting back what the input is.
2: You know when you talk about that sort of reflecting back it reminded me especially since you've got a young one it's like training a toddler I, you know, and i'm working with ai right now or at least it seems so so nick I, I would love it you know if you took a deep dive into ai and then compare it, what it's like training ai training your child that would be kind of interesting but i also have children who are much older now so and they're smarter than me so there you go um jeremy we're We've talked a lot about this and talked around it, but how exactly are we going to integrate all of this stuff? Because, you know, we know that IT is going to be very hesitant, but we know that they should be early adapters if they want to achieve in advance. But, you know, I have this cell phone and it is company property and i am told to walk around with it and respond to it and you know it sometimes rings after hours you know which i'm never totally sure whether or not i should get that i usually do so i am now a slave to my technology so you know technology was supposed to free us um and I've, i'm old enough that i've been on the trip you know pretty much the entire time and while it's made my maybe my life easier it 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 hasn't made my life freer. I don't have a lot more free time. So how do we integrate technology, especially with AI, to actually make our lives better?
1: Especially with AI. So I'm going to answer that. I had a just crazy aha It's It's the more and more that we have. It's almost like uh, anyone who had, to anyone who has a hammer, everything's a nail, right? You get a hammer, right? You just want to play with it. So the more and more technology our brains do, we do an amazing job, uh, not by our own regard, because as humans, we're we're pretty flawed just in general in terms of getting distracted. But think of how, like, let's say, like, busy time of day, walking through the streets, New York City, right? There's millions, millions of distractors. But your brain is able to, to to focus on certain things, so there is a sense where we choose. And a lot of this, we've talked about this. A lot of this is dopamine hits. Like every time you get a text, you get a dopamine hit, right? Uh, in that, it's, it's so the more that there is, the more options that there are, and we're slowly learning. We can never. It's weird because we can never uh, like evolve mentally in a sense to catch up with technology. You know, I, I remember when texting started to come out and look at how many accidents are because of distracted driving with texting. So what one thing made me, one thing uh, yesterday made me think about this in terms of what does free us up, but does it actually free us up? I got a text saying, hey, you got a prescription ready. Within probably 10 seconds, I had paid for that. Just click a link, boom, 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 paid and done. Then I thought, wow, years ago, it would have had to been a plan in my day, right? Got to go. Got to do this. A plan. So is that freedom, or has that taken away our freedoms? Because in that planning, maybe you take. Maybe it's an opportunity to get out of the house. Maybe it's hey, let's 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 take the kids. Right? We have to go to get the prescription anyway, so let's take the kids to a restaurant. So is it freeing? And of course, there's huge opportunity cost. So we have time saving. But we're really good at filling in those time savings with time wasters. So in terms of your question, I mean, it's really philosophical and it's wildly interesting to think philosophically. But in terms of um, actually, I'm going to, is there another hand up? Not yet. So, all right, I'm going to keep going. There's getting back to, to more of a, like a, a structured part of the conversation. There's this article called called Artificial Intelligence and the Future of Work. Human AI symbiosis and organizational decision making, which that's a long title. Now I have to get back to this uh, little graph that I saw. So when looking at, and it's interesting, right? You know, I'm I'm sitting here thinking. As I was talking about judgment and decision making, I'm sitting here thinking, man, am I getting everyone off track because we're talking about intelligence? But uh, I'm. It's validated by this because we're looking at. I'm looking at Figure One here. Complexity of human and AI and uh, in decision-making situations, characterized by uncertainty, complexity, and equivocality. So there's, a, there's, a, there's an issue, Tom. I'm gonna ask you which you prefer, uh, how we go about making uh, a decision. Uh, we have negotiate, build consensus, consensus, and rally support versus analyze sentiments and represent diverse interpretations.
2: I like the first and have no idea what the second means. So I'm going with one.
1: (laughs) I think I'm with you. I don't know what it means either. All right. Um, What about this one? Decide whether, I'm sorry, decide where to seek and gather data, choose among options with equal data support, or collect, curate, process, and analyze data. Ooh. One
2: sounds easier, but the other makes me feel like I would get a better result. So A, no B. Oh B. Yeah, I want to do the whole thing, gather it all, is you know, go through it all and come up to my own conclusion. But okay. that's a lot more work than A.
1: Okay. Uh, what about this one? Make all swift. Right. I'm sorry. In the face of uncertainty, make swift, intuitive decisions in the face of the unknown or provide access to real-time information in other words anomaly detection
2: i don't have time for anomaly detection i
1: need to make a decision now (laughs) all right so you chose you chose two human methods uh of decision making and one ai so for complexity you chose ai for uncertainty and equivocality you chose the human method of decision making what does this all mean i have no idea tom but it was a really fun <laughs> exercise to do with you well let
2: me ask you this because you know you talked about the dopamine hit and you know people who are in marketing and people like yourself jeremy know all these secret ways to get people so once again we come back to the ethical question because You know, if I know all the tricks of the trade to get someone to buy something or to take action, I'm going to use them. But is that ethical of me? You know, we we kind of had this discussion as acting teachers about, you know, are we manipulating our students, you know, as we try to encourage them to get into the right mindset of a character? Well, it is manipulation, but is it for my good or their good? And so as drama teachers, we kind of go, well... I can manipulate my students, but it's for their benefit. I'm not sure I want a CEO making the same decision when it comes to artificial intelligence and how I might be
1: persuaded. So in that, are you saying, how are you thinking about this in terms of AI's role in that? Well, I can use AI,
2: you know, I could run a Ponzi scheme and I could get AI to convince the participants that this is good for them.
1: You could also contact, you could also, um, maybe you know someone who's a really good negotiator and marketer and is a psychologist and you could talk to them. What's the difference? Well, it would depend on if
2: they're good or evil. (laughs) If they, you know, are, are ethical, they're going to direct me down that ethical path, but not everybody's ethical. And these could be used as tools to manipulate employees. You know, if we want to take this, you know, down the path in 30 or 40 years, what happens when a company says, uh, we're going off uh, the phone, That's now a little device that we're going to implant just under your skin, uh, and that's how we'll communicate with you, and then six months later, you know, the job is done, Uh, does that get removed, is that now my technology, are they going to... You know, pull me in, and rem- like all of those things are just out there, and and I'm just concerned that our approach to them may not be the most ethical. Which is why I love the fact that there's people like yourself out there. Uh, but how oh, do? Thanks, we- Tom. <laughs> Boy, you're welcome. But how do we put some guardrails on this?
1: Uh, so going back to your original, you you start. You kind of answered your own question when you said it depends on whether or not that person is ethical. And then in terms of guardrails, I think we all have yet to see. Um, I think we haven't because the... uh, Alexander has his hand up, which I think we missed because it's blending into his his background there. So I'm gonna turn it over to you. Turn it over to Alexander. Alexander,
2: let's go to you.
6: All right, so I'm going to ask a question to everyone. And it goes along some of the lines that we've been talking about. And that is, is, we're now being able to use something like Duet AI that will be able to attend meetings for us. So this will be meetings that we set up with appointments with our coworkers, and we never actually attend them. We let the AI attend it, and it tells us how that meeting has perceived gone what's going to be important for us to follow up with so this goes into those intuition things and those nuances of the conversations in those zoom meetings how do we expect that's going to affect the workforce and so that's my question to everyone
2: that's a great question because i (laughs) i'm not sure i want to be on either side of the table in that conversation you know whether i send ai to represent me that's one thing. But boy, if I get called to a meeting and the real person's not there, it's I'm now talking to their computer friend. I'm not sure how I feel about that. But Linda let's go to you.
3: I, I could be ignorant about something, but how is that different than just recording the meeting when and sending it to you and and then having to watch the meeting anyway? And I don't understand how that really functions as a meeting.
2: I, I think you would get Alexander Jump in if you if you want to. I think you'd get the cliff notes of How the meeting went, you wouldn't actually be like reviewing the footage of the meeting, but once right. again, I'm I'm I don't know.
6: Alexander if You're not reviewing the meeting itself. So you're relying on the AI to make those interpretations for you, not going back over and making those interpretations yourself.
2: Hmm.
0: Just are you and worried
6: now, Linda? Like an email saying, you know, here's your follow-up things that you need to do, here's what people said you need to do, and this is what you need to do.
3: So I I don't see the the advantage of that is if you can do that right and don't want to have the discussion and the, your input into the meeting then you just get somebody can just send you an email I don't understand the real plus on this I'm missing something here I don't understand the plus on it Well I think you've
2: trained correct me if I'm wrong Alexander but you've trained the AI so that it is responding for you in the meeting it's going to give the responses that it believes you would give. How are you feeling about that, Lyndan?
6: Partially. So you can actually, you can prompt it to ask like questions for you. And then, you know, whatever people say, like in this call, you could respond to the questions that the AI said and whatever your response is, it's going to take that back to the person. So it's got to be able to interpret all those little nuances.
3: Wow. I think that uh, communication is tough enough not to put in something that might screw up my my intentions or or something. I don't, I don't think we're ready for this one yet. I'm not ready for this one.
2: Yet. <laughs> I'm not ready for this one either. Uh, but it's coming. Uh, Dr. Reno, let's go to you.
7: So for Alex, um I just wanted to say uh, natural language processors, right? Um, that's something that you would consider and it would have to determine based off of those presets that you've included in there um, to you know how to respond to the questions that are being asked by the human or maybe speaking to another, you know, AI generator. And then how would they, you know, how would we be able to um, make sure that they're not already preset biases with inside the data that gave, gave it that information, right. Your response times or just, you know, that natural processing. I mean, I do see it could reduce, you know, the time of having to sit in meetings, but um, other than that, I mean, you know, reducing some of the workload, but you still gonna to have to process some of that information
2: from the human factor component. Yeah, and I'm still wondering if you put two AI generators together, is their first plan going to be, how do we take over your business? Uh, <laughs> because it's out there. Uh, Nick, let's go to you.
5: Yeah, I don't have, you know, experience with Duet. The one that I get at the restaurant all the time is Google Assistant will call to make a reservation. And I know that I'm talking to an AI and i know that there's all sorts of things going on back there and i just from a customer service standpoint like i get the convenience of you know shipping that off to artificial intelligence but i can't really ask you know is there an occasion is there any special circumstances you know there's there's a limiting to me as a service provider knowing that i'm talking to an ai and i feel like if we're using that in meetings in the workplace it's the same thing well this is the best guess at what you know tom would say if he were here and that might be good to protect boundaries and say, all right, well, Tom's on vacation, but we need to have this meeting here now. But if it's just, I want to mail it in and I don't want to be there. I mean, there's there's one side that maybe we really review what meetings are for, um, but at the same time, how much presence is necessary. And I think if you're just getting the cliff notes, did you even need to attend the meeting in the first place? Right. And,
2: and, and you know, I've got a beef with people. <laughs> who use AI for serving customers, you know, customer service, um, because they're just gatekeepers. And now they've actually put technology as a barrier to actually getting to a human who I might be able to negotiate with. Uh, so, you know, I'm not a big fan. I want to talk to a human. Linda Ann is a human. Let's talk to her.
3: Well, I'm thinking if, if you've worked at a company for a while, right? And people know you. And what's how is that um do at AI any different than just You're not at the meeting and them going, Yeah, I think Lyndane would say this. I know her well. You know, I think her opinion would be here. She would go this way. I don't yeah. Wow. I I just think that that misinterpretation is is so high and miscommunication is so high right now. That one is a I'm not seeing the positive.
2: Well, yeah, right now I'm thinking, geez, I can set up artificial intelligence to run my workstation and I can go on vacation and everybody will just think that I'm here. Um, <laughs> we might not be at that stage yet, but if anybody out there's knows of that, let me know. Uh, Jeremy, we have once again exhausted another 60 minutes, uh, going too fast as always, lots of good stuff. And it feels
1: like we've just cracked the surface of this topic. I'm reading through the, the chat comments, getting caught up. This is crazy. The, like there's some... <laughs> There's some scary stuff going on Uh, for uh, Alexander was mentioning about the AI, there's a company maybe in the UK, they use AI cameras in a grocery store, some kind of a store to monitor reactions of facial and eye tracking to see if you like what's being put on digital display. If they detect you like something, it will measure it and then show you more or follow you through the store. Whoa. And then our company is going to basically, the question is asked. Our com- company is going to start maybe doing something like this and then allow HR workers to be notified if there's a conflict between people based on I. Man, that's don't, hey, companies, don't be doing that. We, we people don't like being recorded. Don't do that. Don't do that. Grocery stores, Get, leave us alone. Get away. Anyway. uh And then I also, we've got a, what is this? A, Tom, what, what do you see? So, We've got a uh, I-303 in the in the audience today. What is that, A like a metal, uh, like a CP-3O? Yeah, there we go. We got a heart. Is that a C-3PO? Give me another heart or, or a, a thumbs up or something. Is that R2-D2? Hey, there we go. All right, interesting. I, you know, I've never had that before. <laughs> Perfect for our, our discussion today.
2: Well, you know, as we're talking about science fiction, it kind of clicked into my head at some point that you know, I'm a big fan of the original Star Trek. Um, when you look at their technology and you look at their communicator, We've already blasted past that like my cell phone has got more power than their communicator does. We haven't figured out you know how to travel between stars and and you know even transport people from one place to another but we seem to have the communication technology already more advanced than Star Trek
1: it's it, I was thinking just yesterday I looked at my watch I was like jetsons I mean <laughs> who who would have thought ever oh my goodness gracious all right, all right. so man this is uh. Uh, very good. I enjoyed the prep. I enjoyed this today. And also in the chat. If you guys are listening to the podcast, come in the chat, man. People uh, are are providing all kinds of different resources. I've got, I think, four or five different resources and AI tools now logged. So um, as far as events coming up, um, we've got next week. I don't even know what's the topic of next week until I look so actually, Dr. Ariana Thompson is going to be leading that discussion next week. And the topic of next week's discussion just happens to be, ooh, AI, here we I guess we're going again. AI-driven leadership development, rethinking executive coaching, discussing how AI technologies can revolutionize leadership development and executive coaching for future leaders. So it looks like we're sticking on AI. Hope everyone's all right with that. I think it is interesting enough. And further events, so we have next Tuesday, no, October 10th, sorry, CBOC members of momentum session. And Linda Ann, could you please let the podcast and our audience know about the three session masterclass. It's called Navigating the New Normal, Learn Leadership Strategies for Uncertain Times, it's a it's a 3-day masterclass on October 11th, 18th and 25th and for ticket holders all sessions will be recorded and until October 5th there is a an early bird discount so you can go to seabock.com/events to get your ticket to that Lindan, you want to provide a little more information
3: yeah, I, I mean, you hit most of the highlights, but I, the one thing I want to say is you will come away with a full-blown leadership plan for yourself to develop over the next year or two. And so really identifying all those essential skills that we need as leaders, and then how do you get those over time and develop them and practice them so that um, you move forward as a leader because of all companies believe that their leadership bench is empty. And it's a real opportunity for you to gain those leadership skills to make you take advantage of that opportunity.
1: Great. And everyone take advantage of that opportunity offered by Lyndon Rogers and Deborah Colazzo. Tom, any final thoughts? No, I think
2: that's it. Uh, You know, once again, we've just cracked the surface, but hey, every week we have interesting topics here at Cookie, and we've got some great discussion. And, you know, as once again... I think I'm the luckiest guy in the world that I get to spend the time with you people online. So thank you, Jeremy. And with that, I think we should uh, let people get on with their day.
1: Counting out. Thank you everyone. This was so much fun. Counting out of five, four, three, two, and one.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of work cookie, a CBOC podcast. Don't forget to sign up at seabock.com. that's S-E-B-O-C dot com, to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? At seabock.com.